Welcome to Bed Crime Stories Podcast. I'm your host, T. Hi there, bed crimers. Hope you're all doing well. To anyone new here, a warm welcome. Thank you for checking out the channel. Do me a favor. If you find you enjoyed this content or learned something, smash that like button and consider subscribing. Now let's dig in. Hello, everybody. How are you doing? I hope everything's great. Charlie Adelson. That's who we're going to talk about today. The first of the Adelsons to be arrested and convicted for his role in his former brother-in-law, Dan Markell's murder, is now looked upon as someone who pushed and believed in a rather ridiculous defense narrative in which he claimed the payments he made to his ex-girlfriend, Catherine McBanawa, and her baby daddy, Siegfredo Garcia, and Garcia's childhood friend, and Latin King member Luis Rivera were made because they were extorting him after they took Markel's life. Today, Charlie Adelson cuts a rather pathetic figure as he spends hours and hours on the phone to his baby mama, Bree, and probably now to his father, Harvey. I say that because his mother, Donna Adelson is behind bars, also charged in connection with Danny Markell's death, and his sister, Wendy, by all accounts, isn't talking to anyone. We've seen Charlie Adelson in court. We've heard him now on the phone to his parents, to his baby mama. He's been on a journey through shock, sadness, maybe anger now trying to come to terms with the fact that he has been sentenced to life in prison without the possibility of parole. So no more fun times in Miami, no more visits to sushi restaurants, no more trips on his boat out on the water, no more spending time with his son Roman outside in the fresh air. I'm not saying that for anyone to feel sorry for him. He made his bed and now he has to lie in it. Today, I'm going to try and answer the question, what was Charlie Adelson like as a boyfriend? And I look to his former girlfriend, June Umchinda, for the answers. June is a dark-haired Thai beauty with a toothy grin who dated Charlie Adelson for two years, starting in October of 2015. So June came after both Katie McBanawa and one other of Charlie's girlfriends, whose last name is Kick. Now, June spoke to the cops after the hitmen in Danny Markell's case, Sigfredo Garcia and Luis Rivera, were finally tracked down in 2016, two years after the crime, along with Charlie's ex-girlfriend, Katie McBanawa, who also happens to be the mother of Garcia's kids. Once the connection was made between Sigfredo Garcia and Katie McBanawa, and then Charlie Adelson, who was Danny Markell's ex-brother-in-law, a picture started to emerge. June's chat with the police was also prior to Charlie Adelson's arrest. June and Charlie had broken up after a two-month separation, during which time he hung out with the woman Bree, 
who happened to get pregnant and is the mother of his young son, Roman. When all that happened, June realized she could no longer be with Charlie. So her conversation with the cops happened after the breakup. Back when June was interviewed, she told the investigators that Charlie was her perfect guy, aside from his well-known cheating and his possible involvement in Danny Markell's death. It sounds like June was maybe taken with Charlie's then charm. I say then charm because it's hard to see him as a charming guy, knowing what we know now. Maybe also she was taken with his monetary success, his generosity in paying for trips to Mexico and Vegas, dinners out, etc. Lots of women go for doctors and lawyers because they often like the wealth that tends to be associated with these professions. In old overgeneralization, it used to be that women tended to pick men based on their money, and even a toad of a guy could get a gorgeous gal if he had enough money. While men, the generalization said, tended to look for beauty over anything else. Well, we've all seen frogs driving Ferraris accompanied by young pretty things who look to be the ages of their daughters. At least I've seen this in Scottsdale. So Charlie and June look to me to be a little bit like this, but as you listen to June, she sounds like she really did love Charlie, or at least she thought she did. And I have to say, when she testified in his trial, Charlie seemed to gaze adoringly at June, and June was very respectful of Charlie. She relayed to the cops in this interview that she did that after Garcia Rivera and McBanoa were charged in the Markel case, Charlie underwent a dramatic change in personality and behavior. And June would know because she was basically living with him, although she hadn't officially moved out of her own place, she still had it. They were spending most of their nights together at his house. And again, this is 2015, so approximately one year after Danny Markell's death. And this was because his name was suddenly being mentioned in the media in association with the crime. June described Charlie becoming constantly irritable, quick to temper, and no longer interested in going out. He told June he was a private person and he didn't like people watching him and talking about him. The only place Charlie felt okay was out on the water in his boat. He didn't even want to stay at home because he worried there. He became concerned, rightly so, that the cops might show up one day and arrest him. Guilty conscience. He was so worried, according to June, that he had clothes set aside next to his bed just in case the cops suddenly turned up with an arrest warrant. This makes me wonder if his whole story about the cops bringing a sweatshirt of his was not a coincidence at all, but rather Charlie orchestrating this scene. He made a big deal about a sweatshirt that he was arrested in. One thing he clearly failed to do was tidy up his hair. June also told the police that Charlie told her not to answer the door if the police came a knock and and not to say anything to them. By telling the investigators these details, June was certainly helping them build a circumstantial case 
against Charlie. June also accused him of becoming somewhat scary after arrests were finally made in 2016. She said Charlie pushed her one time, he emptied the contents of her purse on his front lawn, and he once shoved her into his boat and wouldn't let her get off when she became frightened of him. And apparently before the arrests were made, he was pretty much a perfect gentleman, aside from the cheating on the side. As all this was happening, Charlie's life and career were basically imploding. The dentist, who'd previously invited him into their practices to do periodontal work, no longer welcomed Charlie. His childhood friends and their wives dropped him like a steaming hot burrito too long in the microwave. Maybe that's why his hair looked like that, leading Charlie to complain that he no longer had any friends. No longer able to make the big bucks as a periodontist, Charlie devoted most of his time to real estate. He owned a large building, according to June. He also encouraged her to get a real estate license. It sounds like Charlie wanted to maybe have a life with June at some point. June also talked about Charlie getting at least one extra cell phone possibly two, after Garcia, Rivera, and McBanawa were charged, and also him leaving his house for hours at a time and not telling her where he'd gone. When it came to discussions about Danny Markell's death, June said Charlie only would say that Markell was injured in his garage and no one knows who'd done it. He was never curious about discovering who the perpetrator was, nor was he interested in talking about the crime in any depth. Makes sense now, a person who's involved in a crime and doesn't want to get caught is going to try his or her best to avoid the topic. This reminds me of how Brian Koberger's classmates at Washington State University said when the class was discussing the crime in Moscow, Idaho, Koberger, who was normally a big know-it-all, and very talkative, was unusually silent. June also spent time with Charlie's parents, Donna and Harvey Adelson, during this period. June described Donna crying so much one night that her eyes were swollen. June and Donna spoke on the Adelson's balcony, and Donna talked about how horribly Danny Markell had treated Wendy. Donna said he was controlling and manipulative. Charlie, too, had no kind words for his deceased ex-brother-in-law. You'd think after the guy was murdered, the Adelsons would be kinder in what they said about him. June stated that Harvey seemed fine while Donna came across as a mess. She seemed to be sobbing all the time, so she was very upset after the three arrests were made. Rivera, Garcia, and McBanawa. If Donna had no involvement in Markel's death, why wasn't she jumping for joy that the perpetrators had been caught? Charlie hadn't yet been arrested, so why wasn't Donna pleased? And Wendy, too, should have been jumping for joy, because this would have meant that the bad guys were behind bars, and thus she no longer had to worry about these bad guys coming for her and her kids. But June also said something that may have worked in Wendy's favor. She said Charlie and Wendy would often fight about the case, and Wendy stopped talking to Charlie for a while over it. Could that indicate Wendy really didn't know what Charlie and maybe Donna, too, had arranged for Danny Markell? to take care of the problem? Or was Wendy angry that Charlie said stupid things that would come back publicly to haunt them all? Things like, 
He looked into hiring a hitman, but it was cheaper to get Wendy a TV. June also said that Donna was crying one night and stated that she felt Danny Markell was coming back from the grave to haunt them all. That can only mean one thing in my mind. Is this what Donna meant when she recently described her family as being cursed on one of those recorded jailhouse calls? So we've been really good nannies, and I oh, guess yeah. our job is up. Because now the boys are older, they can go out with friends, they can do things on their own. So she doesn't need grandma and grandpa. Okay, pretty hurtful. I have one son that I don't speak with. I have one son who's hosting dead. And my daughter, whom I love, is doing this. I don't get it. I don't get it. I said to Harvey, I said, God, our family was cursed. Holy cursed. And I don't know how to take care of it anymore. Did you hear her say that, I swear our family is cursed, cursed, and I don't know how to take care of it anymore? I think in the Adelson's case, any curses were done by them themselves. June also said that none of the Edelmans ever expressed curiosity or a desire to find out who did in Danny Markell. Now, why do you think that is? I think I know why it is. Charlie also said to June that if he'd committed the crime, he would have left for another country by now. Apparently, Charlie spent a lot of time in the Philippines, and he even had a girlfriend there named Alyssa. Charlie also told June that the cops were watching him, and since they hadn't arrested him, this meant he had nothing to worry about. Charlie seems to engage in what I call magical thinking. Throughout his trial, he did it. He said he was sure he was going to go home, and here we have him before his arrest, fairly confident that the cops were not going to arrest him, although he did have the clothes sitting next to the bed, and it sounds like he was pretty paranoid all the time that his fate could turn on a dime. It sounds like Charlie was living a hellish existence in many ways, after his three co-conspirators were caught. On the one hand, he's bragging that the cops didn't have anything on him because they hadn't arrested him. On the other hand, he couldn't sleep. He had to take Xanax to get any kind of rest, couldn't find any lasting peace, couldn't go out in Miami socially, couldn't live a carefree existence anymore. This reminds me so much of what Angela Wagner said after she was caught for her role in the Pike County case, where eight members of the Rodin family were done in. Angela Wagner said, quote, you never get away with it. You live with it. June also confirmed to the police that Charlie had a safe in which he kept $100 bills stapled together. When the money was handed over from Charlie to Catherine McBanoa, the money was stapled, and it was also damp because apparently Donna Adelson had washed it. I'd love to know how she did that. June further said, Charlie paid for everything in cash. Toward the end of her interview, June talked about Charlie just wanting his life back before the crime. She said Charlie often does things without thinking. She said he liked to drink and party. She also stated that Charlie talked to Catherine McBanawa again after Garcia and Rivera were charged in connection with Markel's death. Remember, it took several months before Catherine McBanawa was arrested and charged after Garcia and Rivera. Charlie told June 
that the Lexus Katie McBanawa was driving was an old one that Harvey had wanted to get rid of, and he also denied paying for the implants that Katie McManawa apparently got. June said that Charlie bought a Range Rover at one point, and he let June drive it, and apparently he told her he wanted to buy her a BMW, but he couldn't at that point because the police were tracking his finances. Sounds like June did enjoy some of the perks while she dated Charlie, perks of his wealth. June also described a time when Charlie was coming back from a trip to Thailand and she was supposed to pick him up with his BMW, which apparently was in the shop, but when she found out he'd been in the Philippines with his girlfriend, Alyssa, June said she told him she wasn't going to pick up his car and he would have to take care of all that himself and she wasn't going to pick him up either, and she didn't pick him up. And Charlie then replied with threats, telling her that she better watch out. And June said she was definitely afraid. June stated Charlie was an angel in the beginning of the relationship. And then once the case was in the media for Garcia and Rivera's arrests, he changed and he came to be very mercurial, very unpredictable. He could be lovey-dovey one minute, and then he could be a very scary dude the next. June also told the investigators that when Charlie gets mad, he gets very angry, and he's very selfish, and he always has to have his way. Hard to understand why June would still hold a candle for Charlie when you hear about the threats he made to her. She's so lucky that she got away without having his child. Can you imagine having to tell your baby that daddy helped do in another daddy and that he will be living in prison for the rest of his life? Apparently, Charlie wanted June to have a child, and she wasn't willing to do it unless they were going to get engaged and married. But in her chat with the investigators, June seemed a little bit jealous of Bree because she said, Charlie's got a family, he's got a baby. He's got a dog, he's got a house, and she said, I'm here and I'm alone. I think June is still grieving the fairy tale that she had in her mind, the fairy tale that overlooked all the realities, the cheating, the threats, the accusations at the time that he was involved in his former brother-in-law's death, which have turned out to be true. June also mentioned once reading Charlie's horoscope to him, and it said something like, Something you did long ago will come back to haunt you. And Charlie replied something like, wow, that is so on point. If anyone had doubts about Charlie's guilt, June's chat with the investigators certainly makes him seem like a very guilty man. June ended her chat with the police saying that Charlie said he might call her again and the cops advised her not to tell him that she had spoken to them. She then expressed fear that Charlie might hire people to come over to her house and silence her. Until the next time on Bed Crime Stories. Hey, did you enjoy this? Smash that like button, and I'll see you next time.